that's here today. Um, the presence and the power of God is what we long for, Lord. Lord, so many of us are tired of uh, a dry Christianity, a Christianity that is... Um, it's cognitive, Lord. We know the right things, but we're not experiencing your presence in the way that we long to. So, Lord, as we engage this series for, for a bunch of weeks, we just pray that you'll meet us here. And as we've engaged you, Lord, in praise, so we pray that you, we might engage you now as this word is spoken. So, Lord, we ask for your presence. And more than that, we ask for your power. Lord, for those who hear this uh, sermon and they're touched in some way by it and feel maybe they're being led to pray, give them courage to come, just to go, uh, to give you the opportunity to do something pretty profound in their lives. But Lord, for all of us, speak to us now. We want to hear from you. We want to know you, God. Um, we want to live literally in relationship with you. So come now, we pray. And do your work among us. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Well, I think, uh, you know, all of, if not close to all of, Jesus' followers would love to see God doing dramatic and remarkable things in their lives. I was going to say all of them, but then I thought, I don't really know that to be the case. But I'm guessing a lot of us would love to see the presence and the power of God in our lives in a new way. You know, we think about Jesus and what Jesus did. You know, he healed people. You know, he opened their eyes because when they were blind, he, when they couldn't walk, he enabled them to walk. Um, he did remarkable things. You know, the feeding of the 5,000 out of a little loaf and some fish, you know. And, and we would love to see the presence of Jesus come and move in power again, wouldn't we? You know, I, I, I think, of, I think of, of Peter again. We spoke to this last week, and we'll reference this story a little bit again today at Pentecost and, and, and what happened there. The idea that at Pentecost, the Spirit of God came on those people, and they were enabled miraculously to speak in a language they had never learned. It was, it was a remarkable moment. And they also had the heart to go out into the community and share their stories of what they had experienced of Jesus. You couldn't keep those people quiet as they spoke in other languages. And Peter gets up, get up afterwards, and there's this powerful movement of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. Who wouldn't want to be part of that? I would. <laughs> I'd love to preach and have 3,000 people come to Jesus, and I bet you'd love to be part of that moment when the presence and the power of God is so real. Think of the Old Testament, you know, the day that God made the sun stand still so the Israelites might conclude a, a victory in battle. You know, think of the day that, 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 that God parted the Red Sea and God's people were able to flee and escape and then covered the e Egyptian army with that water so that the, the, that army was decimated and destroyed. You know, there's, there's something about these stories that calls within us to say, oh God, couldn't we experience some of that? Couldn't we experience more of the presence and the power? You know, we're going, to, we're going to talk about various issues and elements over these next weeks whereby I believe we're going to give God, if you would, the opportunity through prayer, if nothing else, to reveal the presence and the power of the living God, the Spirit of God, and our experience of it in a new way. So we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about healing, and we're going to offer prayer for healing. And following that, we're going to talk about the place of evil in our lives. You're going to have an opportunity to be prayed for, to be, break free from that. You know, and so on and so forth. Circumstances in your life that are beyond your control, we're going to offer prayer for God to work, the presence and the power to come and change those circumstances. 
And we really do hope that we experience God in a pretty powerful and real way. <coughs> Excuse me. But today, I want to tell you, well, I want to begin at the beginning. And I want to tell you about something that honestly is the most meaningful and significant and powerful thing that God does for us. And that is that he can take a human being from our natural state, and I'm going to describe this for you today, and he can so work by the presence and the power of God's Spirit and transform us into someone who believes in and follows Jesus. And that, my friends, is, is the work of the presence and the power of the Spirit of God in a dramatic and a remarkable and in a beautiful way. Now, as I say, we're going to talk about some of those other things, but we're going to deal with this one first. And as we go through this sermon this morning, what I would invite you to do is to look for those, those moments that God touches your life that you just might want prayer for. I'm essentially going to be talking about conversion. When people come to that place where they encounter God and they say yes to him in Jesus. Now here's the trick, and you've got to remember this. People think conversion only happens once. Biblically, that's not true. Regeneration happens once, and we're going to talk about that mostly today when the Spirit of God comes and makes us alive in Christ. But conversion can happen over and over and over and over again when we simply say, yes, Lord, yes, and we commit ourselves anew in faith to the person of Jesus. So as we go, I want you to be thinking, Lord, where does this touch my life? What is it that I need prayer for? Where is it that I can invite you in so that you can work in a powerful way? All right, there's the challenge. We're going to start with Ephesians chapter 2 and make our way through this, this, uh, this chapter. Lots of biblical references today. I want you people to dig in, okay? Are you ready to dig in? Really think and learn and understand Scripture. So it says this, Ephesians 2, chapter 1. And again, where are we in our natural state? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Isn't that a lovely way to begin a chapter? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, that's what we're born into. We're born into this natural state where we are spiritually dead. Now, I want you to help me to define that word. What does it mean to be dead? Hmm? Lifeless? Well, that sums it up pretty well. There is no life. It is absent in a human being until they encounter what I'm going to describe to you today. You know, the spiritual life is not there nothing at all there is no faith there is no understanding of god there's no understanding of ourselves and our need there is no relationship with god we are alienated by from god by sin all the things that make up a, a spiritual life are non-existent and i want to explain that to you for a little while first what does that look like well you know we're in that place where where, where there is no spiritual life we're living in a different fashion let's go on to verse 2 as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now that's a mouthful, and I'm only getting going. But I'm reading scripture, right? What it, what it says about those who were spiritually dead is that they, that they are living if, you know, and thinking as, as, as people who have no relationship with God, no knowledge of God, no experience of God, they're just doing what everybody else does. That, that knowledge is absent from them, which causes them to live in a particular way. And it says, 
Um, the same thing in relationship to the spirit. I'm going to read it for you again. I can't find it in my notes. Who is now at work in those who were disobedient. Who is that spirit? It's the devil. He used to say the prince of the power of the air. And, and it's really that spirit that is in work, at work in those who have not been regenerated, who have not found faith in Jesus, whose lives have not been deeply touched by the spirit of God and made new. And that's a bit of a, 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 you know, a, a strong reality, but that's exactly what the, what the text has to say. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's a really good thing that good news is coming in this text, because this is the bad news. This is spiritual death. This is alienation from God. This is having no spiritual life at all. But very literally, it says that we just live our lives out of a gratification for the cravings of our flesh. We do what our bodies drive us to do, what we crave for. That controls us. That determines, in so many instances and realities, the experience of our lives. That's the natural condition of human beings before God intervenes. In this place, I'm going to jump a little bit from Ephesians 2 and then come back. In this place, we live in rebellion against God. <clears throat> now, what I just read to you from Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3, describes rebellion against God. Those who were disobedient, living disobedient lives, right? But let me take you to Romans 5, verse 10, first of all. For if while we were God's enemies, and that's why I'm reading the verse, we, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through him? But where do we start? We start as enemies of God. Not resonate at all? Let me go on. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says this. The mind governed by the flesh, that's again the cravings of our body, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Note this, nor can it do so. It's not possible to submit to God's law because we're spiritually dead. There is no spiritual life. It's an absent reality in our experience. But note the word, not only are we enemies, we are hostile to God in our minds. Now those are strong words, right? But I'm beginning at the beginning so that you understand what God has to deal with before he does this miracle by his presence and by his power. So this is the reality that we find ourselves in and we are born with this. You know, let me, let me say this. There are not a lot of people who don't believe in God. Large majority of Canadians believe in God. Large majority of people all, all over the world believe in God. And they don't struggle with that. What we struggle with as human beings in our natural state is the fact of the supremacy of God in our lives, right? You know, we have this natural huge aversion to God being supreme, that he is the supreme one, and that his will is supreme, and that I'm not the supreme one, and that my will isn't supreme. You see, the reality is, you know, we can believe in God all we want until we hear about Jesus being our Lord, so much that we have to decline the things that we want and the cravings that drive us, you know? <laughs> you know, we, we refuse to acknowledge that lordship of Jesus and follow him in obedience to his will. That's where we struggle in our natural state. How about this one? <clears throat> People in natural state blind to spiritual truth. Listen to me, so that they cannot believe. It's beyond their capacity. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this. The God of this age, who's that? The devil. 
has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, are we going to take that one seriously? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot essentially believe in the reality of Jesus. Very literally, very literally, you know, people can't see, if you would, who God is, his love and his goodness and his grace. You know, they, they so often see God as a God of judgment who is, to be, who is stern and has to be, you know, left alone. They see God as a God who just wants to control our lives and to take away our fun. They can't see the reality of this incredible God of forgiveness and of grace who, who is so ready to, to, to forgive us and reconcile us to himself. People in this state can't even understand and see that they're alienated from God, separated from God because of sin. They can't see that Jesus has come, the Son of God, as the solution to their problem, which they also can't actually acknowledge because they're spiritually dead. But they can't see that Jesus has come as Savior, died on a cross, took our sin to himself so that each of us might be forgiven and, yes, enter into a relationship with God. You see, these things can't be seen. And as a result, and you'll see the references in, in several of these verses, one I've previously read, and now here it is again, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. They can't see it. They're blind to what is. And as a result, there is no faith. It's not there. If you can't see the reality, you're not going to believe in it, right? And again, it's a faith that recognizes not just an, the existence of a God, it's a faith that recognizes Jesus as the Son of God, the divine one who walked among us 2,000 years ago, as his father called him too. And you see, they're not able to get to that place, recognizing Jesus as Lord, where they can follow him easily and willingly and lovingly, based in, in, in faith, so that they might obey him in God's word. See, this is the reality of those who are spiritually dead. How are you all feeling? Need some good news? I mean, this is the dynamic, this is the biblical reality that is brought to us. Well, there is good news, and I'm going to move forward. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Listen to this. Here we go. But, there it is, huh? The but. Because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, I want to ask you, and I want, this is not a difficult question when you look at the, um, uh, the verse and, and when you understand its truth, but I want to ask you the question, who makes us alive spiritually? That says God. God who made us alive. It's not ourselves, which the passage goes on to describe. The Spirit of God works in us, and, and the Spirit of God produces something called regeneration. That's a theological term where we are made alive. We are brought to life spiritually, where we are transformed and we are changed. But I want you to understand who does it. It's God by His Spirit, the presence and the power at work in me and in you. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing. Okay, verses 6 through 9, we'll carry on. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one 
can boast. All right, now let's think about those, those words for a little while. It, salvation, regeneration, spiritual life brought to us, it is a gift given by God to us. It is a gift given by the Spirit of God. What is that? What does the Spirit do? And I'm going to march through these realities, and here is where you might really want to zone in and the potential of prayer for your life this morning, all right? Number one, very simply, and as a foundational reality, it is God that gives us this life spiritually. John chapter 3, famous chapter where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and it describes the reality of Jesus coming so that we might have spiritual life. But the, other, but the context of that chapter is, is this simply. It, it's the context of what Jesus described as being born again or born from above. And he describes us to us in that chapter the reality that by the work of the Spirit... We are born anew, born from above, born again. Listen to, to John 3, verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you. Always note that one. He's just not telling you truly. He's telling you very truly. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You all understand that. You were born. Many of you have had children. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, capital S, gives birth to spirit, spiritual life within us, if you would. You know, the reality, my friends, that we have got to wrap our heads around is that when a baby is born, they do not decide to be born. I get paid to make statements like this. It's remarkable. But when a baby is born, it's born as the, the result of decisions of a mom and of a dad, you know, and of, of an obstetrician potentially with four... Like, I don't know all the, the detail, right? But it's not the decision of the baby. It just happens to them. And Jesus says the, the Spirit blows like the wind. You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's gone. But the Spirit comes, and the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And as the Spirit of God so works in our lives, He moves in a powerful way. Can I put it that way? So that in the end, we come to a place where things are changing in us. God is at work in us. He takes the initiative. Let me, let me reference Saul of Tarsus. You know that great story? I'm not going to read it because it's a bit lengthy. Acts chapter 9. Read it when you go home if you want. But a man named Saul, he's a, he's a zealous Pharisee, and he hates the church of Jesus, and he's going around persecuting it, imprisoning people, and even participating in, in their deaths. Here, here is a man who is hostile to God and what God is doing. He is blind to what the Spirit is doing in this circumstance in this moment. He is resistant to and opposed to the person of Jesus, right? <clears throat> there is no faith in this man in Christ himself until the day the Spirit of God acted and struck that man to the ground and spoke to him. Jesus spoke to him, and he believed. He saw and he believed. You see this? He was born from above. The initiative was entirely of God by God's Spirit. I mean, think about it. How much did Paul have to do with that event? He wasn't going to meet God. He wasn't, his heart wasn't strangely warmed about this one named Jesus. He was vehemently opposed to Jesus, and he was on the way to persecute Christians in Damascus. And God acted by his Spirit. The presence and the power of God fell upon him. And in a moment, he was changed. In a moment, my friends, that man's life was changed. And he was ushered into spiritual life from spiritual death. So number one, the Spirit gives life. Number two, the Spirit reveals truth. John 16, verse 13. 
But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. First line, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. You see, what is it that the spirit of God does? He opens the eyes of the blind so that they can see. The Ephesians chapter 2, the ministry of, of, of enlightenment that the Spirit of God works. Uh, little, uh, or chapter 1, actually, I believe. But you see, it's the work of the Spirit of God to do what only He can do so that we can start to see the reality in the spiritual life and believe it. So, for example, the Spirit of God works so that we stop seeing God as a judge who is, who is controlling and, and dictatorial and forcing us to do what we won't, don't want, and we start to see that God is a God of love who deeply loves us and only wants the best for us. You know, we start to see that this, this God is one whom we are alienated from because of our sin, and we begin to recognize we've got a problem. You know, we start to recognize that we can't save ourselves because we're not good enough. We can't, you know, pile up enough brownie points with God to get into heaven, if you would, but that Jesus has come as our solution and that he has died in my place so that I can find forgiveness of sin and in that way be reconciled to God. See, the Spirit works, and all of a sudden we see and we understand what we could not understand before. Think again of Saul. (laughs) You know what? His eyes were opened struck to the ground he was blinded he was led by the hand into damascus god said to a man named ananias i want you to go to him and pray so that he can receive his sight again ananias a man of incredible faith and obedience and courage went to this one who had previously been the persecutor of christians and it says that he prayed for saul um, and scales fell from his eyes understand the symbolic reality the power of that scales fell from his eyes so that he could see And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. My friends, that happened by the power of the Spirit at work in Saul's life. What else happens in this process, you know? Well, the Spirit convicts us of our sins. John 16, verses 7 and 8. But in fact, it it is best for you that I go away. Jesus is speaking of his death and his ultimate resurrection and ascension to heaven. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. See, it is an incredibly powerful and beautiful thing that the Spirit does. And he comes into our lives and he helps us to stop focusing on our goodness as if we can, you know, gain the merit of God and, and, and justifying ourselves. He comes to us and he helps us to see the truth. As Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And the glory of God establishes a standard that none of us can attain. That is the work of the Spirit. And specifically, he calls us to repent of sins in our lives. Of course, that's the next thing the Spirit does. He leads us to repentance. Repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life, where we say no to sin and we walk away from it. We leave it in our past as we are enabled by the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that in the future. We leave an old life in the past and we find a new one by the grace and by the empowerment of God. Acts chapter 2, 
Peter preaching this sermon. Uh, it's powerful that, and the spirit is so present and, and in the minds of the, and, and it work in the minds and the hearts of people. Peter, having had truth revealed to him, is now the one through whom the Spirit of God reveals truth to others. And listen to these verses at the end of the sermon, Acts chapter 2, 36 to 38. Therefore let all Israel, this is Peter's preaching, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, and here it is, whom you crucified. That's a little convicting, isn't it? Just slightly. <laughs> whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see that little phrase that I described to you? They were cut to the heart. The Spirit of God convicted them deeply about what they had done, and they knew the desperate state they found themselves in. And it produced confession. It produced forgiveness in the end as they asked for it. And it produced a commitment of these people's lives to God. The Spirit of God, my friends, convicts us. And it's a blessing to be received. And then lastly, we, we receive Jesus as Lord. John chapter 1, 12, To as many as receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. This is part of the the conversion experience. God does the work and we respond. And, you know, we get to a point where we stop resisting the lordship of Jesus in our lives and we embrace it as something incredible and as something good. Jesus is Lord, not me anymore. Jesus. I will live by faith and by obedience in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Oh, there is one more. Sorry, this is lastly. In terms of the good news. The work of the Holy Spirit produces... If I can put it this way, everything that I've described to you, because what he does is he takes away the old sinful nature and he gives us a new nature. What I'm describing is that he changes us at the core of our being. Now, let me read Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. The old, old prophecy of what God would do. He says, I'm going to bring you back. And then he writes this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. That's the confession and the forgiveness part of things. And I will give you, listen, a new heart and put a new spirit in you. you will, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, what's being described here <clears throat> is what the spirit of God would do and has now done. He moves into the core of who we are as people. And instead of having a nature which, which drives us to do often what is wrong and resists God and makes us hostile toward him, he changes us so that hostility is replaced by love and openness and willingness and enmity or being an enemy of God is, produced, is changed so that we become the friend of God and resistance to the will of God cha is changed so that we desire to faithfully follow Jesus in obedience. The work of the Holy Spirit of God as we experience the presence and the power. Here's what I want to, to say this morning. You know, this is... This is rubber meeting road. And in all of these things, as we have referenced as we've gone through these texts, none of them can happen without the Spirit. It is the Spirit who does these things in us, not us. Do you understand that? You know, we can't 
move beyond hostility and rebellion unless the Spirit intervenes. It's not going to happen. We can't have our eyes open to see the truth of the gospel of, of God and, and salvation so that we can actually believe unless the Spirit opens our eyes so that we can see. We can't even have faith because, as Ephesians 2.8 says, it's a gift. It's given to us. It's not conjured up within us otherwise. It's an act of God. See, my friends, as this change happens by the work of the Spirit, we move beyond rebellion and hostility into a relationship of love. And as we repent and find confession, we have fellowship with God. And we receive Jesus as Lord by his Spirit. And all these things that can't happen unless the Spirit enacts them in us. My goodness, we can't change our, our, our fallen spiritual nature or fallen nature. That can't happen by a human being's efforts. Only by the work of God. As they experience the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. Well, what does this mean for us? What does it mean? And specifically, what does it mean now as we are about to offer you opportunity for prayer? Please don't think, well, I've received Jesus once. That's the end of it. I have responded to the work of God in me, and it's all done. I don't need to go to the front for prayer for anything because I'm in. Conversion happens once, and then it happens again, and then it happens again, and then it happens again as we simply hear from God and say yes to him. Regeneration happens once, that powerful work of the Spirit. But what does it mean then, potentially, for people here today to receive prayer and experience the presence and the power? Well, there may be people here who have been spiritually dead. I'm hoping and praying that there are people here who are recognizing, even in these moments, that they have been spiritual, spiritually dead, and they're sensing God at work in them, and they are ready for and want a new life. Come and ask Jesus for it. Come and be led in prayer by these people who, who will offer you prayer and just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I believe in you as the Son of God. I believe what you've done in the cross. Come into my life and be my Lord. That's one possibility. But how about this? Could there be people here today who are struggling to believe and never really have been able to, that they have doubts in their mind, particularly about the person of Jesus? You could come and ask the Spirit of God to open your eyes so that you can see these things and believe in Him. That's all. Just ask Him to work in you so that the scales fall away and you can believe in a way that He can enable you to believe. Some today may um, recognize that today is the day where you need to repent of something. And repentance just doesn't happen once. Got it, right? Repentance happens over and over again as is necessary. You can come up to one of these people up or back and you can confess your sin in silence if you wish and then have those people pray for God's enablement in your life as you have it turned away from sin to embrace obedience and faithfulness before the Lord. Think of the power of that potentially in your life. Some of you here might just say, you know what, Chris? I'm hearing you talk and I know I need my heart changed. I don't want this heart anymore. I want that new heart that you're describing. 
which longs for goodness and obedience and faithfulness before the Lord. If you want your heart changed, will you come and will you ask the Spirit of God to change it? How about this one? Some of you may be here today and you're recognizing you are rebellion against God. <laughs> Even an enmity or, 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 or an hostility within you. And you realize now is the time to make peace with God and move beyond that hostility, that pushing back, that resistance to his rule in your life. Come here and confess your rebellion and then commit yourself to following Jesus as Lord of your life. Leader. God. In what he calls you to do. My friends, I've only given you five potential reasons for prayer. I talked to the prayer folks before the service today, and I said, well, last week we only asked people to come forward if they wanted to know more of the Spirit of God in their lives. And they said, oh, no, people ask for all kinds of things, <laughs> which is fantastic. How has God touched your heart today? What is it that you can ask the Lord to do here and now to change who you are, to lead you forward into a more dynamic spiritual life, even if you need to become spiritually alive through receiving him? So I'm going to pray, and in a moment, the band's going to come. Well, let's have the band come now. And they're going to play relatively quietly, and most of us are going to praise God in the final song. But if God has touched your heart today, will you just respond to what he has done and go to one of these prayer stations and just say, this today is what I need because I want everything that I can have of a life in Jesus as a child of God. I want to know the presence and I want to know the power of the Lord in my life and I'm here to ask him for it. Let's pray. Lord, we <clears throat> are before you today and we recognize <clears throat> that in so many ways we are just spiritually incapable of what's required for us to enter into spiritual life. And then, Lord, even when we're in it, we know we're incapable of experiencing it at, it at its fullness. And on each step of this journey, God, oh, how we need your Holy Spirit to touch us deeply, to do his work within us, to enable us to see and to believe and to repent and even commit ourselves fully to Jesus. But I pray for every person here today. I don't know <clears throat> who you have touched, and I have no idea how many people will want prayer today. It doesn't matter. What is critically important, Lord, is that you, that you work by your Spirit in the lives and in the minds and in the hearts of your people today. That they might encounter you. That they might experience the presence of God by his Spirit. That they might know the power of God at work in their lives. Lord, by your spirit. So, Lord, again, I pray for those who are feeling a sense of needing to come. I pray that you'd give them courage and wisdom. And then, Lord, how we pray together that as they pray and as they are prayed for, that, Lord, you will open the heavens and come down, that you will move by your spirit in a powerful way, whether it be now or in the days to come, that they know that they have encountered you in your fullness in your power, in your grace, in your love. God, do your work in us now, we pray. This we ask in Jesus' name.